from the Carter Subaru Studios, this is the G and Ursula Show with G. Scott and Ursula Voitine. Welcome to the G and Ursula show. G is out today. Angela Poe Russell is in. Good morning. Good morning. Thank this you. has been a really busy morning. It really and has it's been. been. Yeah, it's been great to be here with you all. Well, we have another very packed show. Uh, you were remarking how full our text line is. We have, I told you. Yes. We have the most engaged listeners, I think, of any show on our radio station. Uh, our Muckleshoot Casino Resort text line, 888-973-5476, cairo Coming up at 1030 after Heather's newscast. This one is near and dear to your heart. I know you are a fan. And I heard G the other day listening to Beyonce's new country album. Right. But we're going to go beyond the whole music thing. And we're just going to talk about... Uh, the significance of this, yes, I guess. that sounds good. Yeah. And maybe someone can turn me around on the whole country music thing. But right now, let's get to it. What's new at 10? And unfortunately, we're going to revisit one of our top stories. And it was this mass shooting in Kansas City, Missouri, where a mother of two was killed. Nearly two dozen other people were injured after gunfire erupted at the end of the Super Bowl victory rally. We're, we're learning this morning that... I think they said half of the victims uh, who survived are children under the age of 16. And then two of the suspects are under the age of 18. And one of the frustrations we express in, in, in the first hour is like, where do you even go with this? What do you what do you say? I, I, I questioned whether this is who we are that statement by kansas city's police chief she said this is not who we are mm. and ernie in kent who is one of our regular listeners Love you, ernie yes he said sadly this is who we are we have to we have to accept that this is where we are at the very least right exactly so i want to run through a couple of uh, uh, of things that you maybe have not heard but to to give you a full um, coverage of the story. So there, uh, these two people, Trey and Casey Filter, they were watching the parade with their two sons. And Trey told Good Morning America today, uh, he explained what happened after the shots were fired. I mean, there was a lot of commotion. I could definitely tell that, you know, someone was being chased. We couldn't see much. Um, I heard that uh, get him. I saw a flash next to me. And I remember I jumped and remember thinking, I hope this is the food they were talking about. Me and that gentleman got pretty, uh, uh, we were pretty elated once we knew we had him. And they started yelling that there's a gun, there's a gun. Um, so we were pretty steadfast in holding him down there. Okay, so I shared that video with you guys last night because my mind automatically goes to where what? are those good people? Where yes. Where are the heroes in here? Kind of a Mr. Rogers thing. And... Trey is is one of them. You saw that video where uh, one of the suspects is running through the crowd and he and another guy just tackled. Didn't even think about it. Like, yes. just go and did it. And and it, what was so interesting to me is once they had him down, there was a young woman nearby kind of saying, hey, can y'all come in and help, you know, hold this person down? And everyone's like, we're getting out of here. I mean, I, I almost... I'm probably one of those that's getting that's out of here. getting out of here. And I, I have heard from some psychologists that that whole fight flight or freeze that that's something many of us can't even control it's just something within a person that runs into the danger and says i'm gonna help thank god for him one of 
the things that I talked about, maybe it was about eight months ago. And I shared on the air that for the first time I was considering getting a gun Mm. for myself. I'd never thought about it in my life. And just the way, you know, every day, the coverage of the stories that we do, it was like, well, you know what? Maybe one thing I can do is to protect myself. And I took a couple of classes. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. I'm still not there. I I have a very, very healthy fear of guns. And I know Mm. anyone who's a a gun enthusiast or a a strong, you know, supporter of the Second Amendment, they're going to be like, oh, you're the problem. Is it fear of like you might mishandle it? Yes. Yeah. yeah, Mishandle it. It gets in the wrong hands. Uh, So we have done, in the meantime, have done other things to protect ourselves and and make sure that our home is more secure. Um, But I also understand the the sentiment that some people are like well maybe the only thing i can do is to to make sure that i'm protected but this is a case where there were 800 officers 800 officers lots of security plans and at the end of the day it's two juveniles or at least two of the suspects uh, of are the juveniles three, yes. and an argument that breaks out and someone you know losing it and and pulling out a gun you know one thing we did ask at the beginning of this show was just wh- where do we go from here and i really do think it's important when something like this happens is for us to do something even if it's on a small scale so a lot of you have been texting what you think should happen here's where i'm coming from so I think number one, we, we, I talked about the mental health piece of this, just like when some of you were kids and you had a life management skills class when you were in high school or you had sewing class or finance class. I think we need an emotional regulation class for these kids. Um, dialectical behavioral therapy, really um, DBT, is, DBT yes. is very effective. And basically if you, if for those of you who don't know, I mean, it's just simply the ability when something happens teaching folks how do they manage those big emotions in the moment. So, and if you didn't hear the sound for those of you listening earlier, I, I, one of the, there was a witness who said she heard a girl say during the shooting, yeah, don't, don't do it. Don't, this, this is stupid. stupid. And it sounds like the person kind of, yeah, lost it and, and did so. I think the second thing we need to do, I have a lot of you texting saying it's the parents, it's the parents. Yes, it absolutely is. But we have to accept that there are a ton of bad parents. There are a ton of bad parents and there aren't enough people to step up and help the kids who are left with the bad parents. Do you know that the majority of folks in juvenile detention has, have crossed paths with child protective services, which meant that they were not in a great home. Yes. So not being in a great home connects down the road to having criminal Agreed. behavior. So we've got to figure out how we can all be a village and step up for these kids who don't have good parents. Let me just add this. So maybe on a small scale, are we part of uh, Big Brothers Big Sisters or you take on a mentorship thing, finding ways where we can and. In- Make those small connections, even if you can't be a foster parent, right? I love that idea because I think it is really going to be taking uh, into account what it is that we could do on an individual basis. Because every single time that we talk about this mass shooting, it immediately becomes don't even talk about gun control. Don't even talk about uh, gun reform. I think it has to be part of the conversation, but this is not an effort to get responsible gun owners to have, uh, you know, to, to, to keep them from owning the guns that they have a right to own. It is trying to figure out a better way or a way to keep especially young people who may be mentally troubled 
from having access to the guns. And and we don't know. We're still waiting for details on this particular case. But two of the three suspects are under the age of 18. Yes. And here's the that brings me, Ursula, to my number three point, because apparently in two. okay, let's start with this headline right now. Missouri, fourth highest murder rate in the country, fourth highest murder rate in Missouri. This is according to the Centers for Disease Control. That's where I got this from. In 2007, the state repealed their permit to purchase law. It led to a 27 percent increase in the homicide rate. So there was a direct. Well, obviously, that's not maybe direct causal, but I just want to point that fact out. Now, people say, well, these were juveniles because it doesn't apply to those under 19. But the point is, if you don't need a permit, anyone can buy it just like someone buys alcohol and give it to a juvenile. It's, It's I think the point. For me, it has to be made is it is not just one thing. And I think I would just invite us all to just explore how we can do just a little bit better in all of these areas. Yes, absolutely. Now, I want to end maybe on a, a on a positive note, because there were heroes amongst, the, yes. you know, and not not just the, the gentleman that you heard who, along with another guy, tackled one of the suspects. But, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs players had just gotten off the stage and they were on their way to the bus and they see this chaos that's happening and all these little kids are freaking out. And I mean, this is not something that should they should be exposed to at their young age. Uh, Chief offensive, uh, the chief's offensive lineman, Trey Smith, says he realized that he was in a life or death situation when security guards began shouting at the players to move. So he found a closet. So they went running into a building. He found a closet and began pulling others inside. Right before I, I run in there, there's like a little kid in front of me. So I just grab him, just yank him, just tell him, you're hopping in there with me, buddy. So I don't know how many people there were in the closet, maybe 20 plus. Okay, and uh, players were then hustled to the team buses along with bystanders who were also desperate to escape. This little boy uh, was with his father. Oh, he's just a little hysterical. He's just panicked. You know, he's scared. He doesn't know what's going on. And, you know, I had the WWE belt um, call me the entire parade. And, you know, I was thinking, you know, man, what can I do to help him out? So I just handed him the belt. Hey, buddy, you're the champion. No one's going to hurt you. Nowhere. No one's going to hurt you, man. Um, we got your back. We just started talking about wrestling. You know, who's your favorite wrestler? What was your favorite wrestling match? And just little things like that, just to take his mind off the. Oh, that and just makes you. Cry. I know, I know. I'm kind of getting a little. It, it, and I guess I just, as a survival technique, because we cover these stories all the time, it's helpful to see the humanity that is that is that that comes out and yes. the, and, and the things that people do i mean so this boy who was hysterical so if you didn't get that he had he was using a prop um the wrestling championship belt uh that he'd been carrying as a prop during the parades so he gave it to the boy you know I know <laughs> you're getting a little it's hard yeah. not to get emotional about this but but i mean that that's it brought me to tears this morning yeah. It, it did when I was listening to him tell that story. Do you mind if I answer your question about yes, what we can please. do? Yes, that, yes. That doesn't affect anyone's rights. There are two things you can do. You can either not buy a gun if you're thinking about getting one or make sure that your guns are secured always. True. Every gun used in a crime, with the exception of ghost guns, was legally purchased at one point. Where do criminals get their guns? From responsible gunners, who, gun owners who don't leave them secured. They're stolen out of cars and homes every single day. 
the gun used in the Ingram High School shooting was stolen from a home in Linwood by the son of the gun owner. The killing of a rideshare driver in Edmonds was carried out by someone who wasn't allowed to own a gun. He took it from his girlfriend. Had those two weapons been secured, that's two less murders that would have mm-hmm. would have happened. Also, I want to point out that there are some laws that don't infringe on rights that do make a big difference. I point to Texas, the shooting at Joel Austin's church that was carried out by a woman who had been involuntarily committed several times. She had a long history of mental uh, mental illness, and she had an arrest record spanning 20 years. Her family had asked law enforcement for help to keep weapons out of her hands. She'd threatened to kill an ex with a gun. She menaced neighbors with a gun. Her neighbors contacted police, the local city council, attorneys, the mayor, all told her we can do nothing to keep this woman from legally buying a gun. But in Washington state, that would not have happened because we have red flag laws here. And if you talk to law enforcement officers who are responsible for serving these, they say that they save lives every single day. So there are things that we can do. Yes. And in in uh, the case of the state of Missouri, I mean, and, and yeah, I, they I think we are lucky that we live in the state that we do. And yeah. the state of Missouri, they, like you mentioned, I'm pretty I was looking through their laws today and I want to say they don't have one around um, purchase. Possession. No permit to purchase. You don't need to register anything. You don't need a license. You don't need a permit to carry. Period. Yeah. So. You know, if you want to ask the question, how did these kids get the gun? Or I, I think the police chief said there might have been more than one, maybe two. It's probably a little bit easier there. It probably wasn't that hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I hear you when you when you bring in the, you know, the, the mental state of our kids today. We hear it from police officers all the time. What is happening? We're seeing a level that we haven't seen before. And your idea about D, you know, the DBT or emotional regulation classes, which if you have to get it privately, though, I mean, that is expensive. It's expensive. So you, people heck. don't have access. So we have to have enough people who can teach it. We're going to have to incentivize people that because right now our social workers don't make much money. They have to go in private practice yes. to do so and not take insurance. So we have to put our money where our mouth is. If this is important, pay people. They'll go into the profession. And but what is happening too? you know, in our homes and with our youth today that they feel this helplessness or hopelessness or feeling like, you know, what do I have to lose and are, are dealing with these uh, mental struggles and, and they have access to. I hear you when you say um, our, our kids are exposed to so much violence. It's true. Mm-hmm. And if you have a kid who is exposed to that kind of violence and who's already not OK. Yeah. And already and has in a family guns, right, and already in a family that's perhaps dysfunctional and lots of problems. They don't exactly. have the parental guidance to give what they're exposed to context. Exactly. Um, again, we have it posted on our GNR Show Facebook page. Um, I, I know it's hard to talk about because we talk about it too often and and sometimes it's just easier to ignore it but i would love to hear from you text us on our muckleshoot casino resort text line 888-973-5476-888-973 cairo if you have any ideas or if there's something that you are going to do personally that's going to be different um we'd love to hear from it We'd love to hear about it. Okay, still ahead on the Gene Ursula Show, we are going to lighten it up a lot because we're going to be talking about a big superstar who is going into the country music genre. That's coming up next. Stay with us.
This hour of the G and Ursula show is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. It's been me in the middle, boy. I can't read your mind. This ain't Texas. Ain't no holding. This is the G and Ursula show. G is off today. Angela Poe Russell is in and the star known as Beyonce. Yeah. Uh, is trying something a little bit different, and she's jumped into country music. And have you had a chance to listen to her songs? I have. I've listened to both Texas Hold'em and 16 Carriages. Um, Texas Hold'em, it's okay for me. I think some folks like it. I like the 16 Carriages. Okay, we're going to play a little bit of that in a second. But a small country station in Oklahoma has now ignited a big debate about what actually counts as country music. So the station refused a listener's request to play the song Texas Hold'em off Beyonce's latest album. So I'm going to let you listen to a little bit more again. Run me to the left and spin me in the middle, boy. I can't read your mind. This ain't Texas. Okay, that sounds country to me. Okay. Okay, well, I'll, I'll wait. When you tell so, me to go, I'll go. Okay, so the, the, the station manager at KYKC, Roger Harris, emailed the listener with a simple response to say, well, we do not play Beyonce at our station because we are a country music station. So what what makes it country music? Well, first of, all, first of all, the premise of this is just absolutely ridiculous on so many levels. So let's start with the idea that people cross over all the time. Taylor Swift went from country music right. to pop music. Uh, Marin, was it Marin Morris? Uh, the Bones Are Good song. I mean, she's, I mean, this has been happening from the beginning of time in music. And it only became an issue uh, when several years ago, Beyonce submitted a song that she did with the chicks. It was called Daddy Lessons. And basically, they refused to put her song in the country category because, I mean, I don't know why. I mean, I'm I'm not sure. This is just, honestly, it just sounds like bi- it's just biased to me. It's absolutely ridiculous. I'll, I'll stop there for right. Now. Well, well I, I want no. I actually want you to go. So you say you feel like it is biased because it's Beyonce and she's a black artist. I, I don't I don't know what else it would be because people cross over and uh, and do this kind of thing all the time. Daddy Lessons was clearly a country song, and this is clearly a country song. Here's I, I, you know in terms of defining what makes a country song, you can't really say the vocals, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I first of all, just a little context. I grew up in the Deep South. I love country music. I have um, memories of growing up, of driving home from college, like our, me and my friends, like blasting Reba McIntyre. And I mean, that was our thing. I love country music. And it's always been a thing, never a black and white thing or, or whatever. So this is just weird to me. I hate it. And let me just tell you I'm this. I'm just wondering if, I, I'm hoping it's something unique to this small time No, it's not. Country but station. No, because remember Daddy Lesson, she was rejected right. from the, right, Stand so no, up. this is a thing. But let me just call a thing a thing and tell you what often happens to black artists that's really frustrating. If we release a song, it automatically gets put in the R&B, R&B. category. And it's yes. so, and it, I've seen it happen with my daughter. Like she's written this music and I'm like, this really isn't like, I don't know if I'd put it in that category, but because, and, and, and it happens a lot with authors, like it gets put in this section. And it's like, why are we? Yeah. Why, why can't it be a couple of things? 
I, I guess. <laughs> right? Right? I mean, so open it up to... And so what is Beyonce's reason for going into country what music? What we're hearing... Well, first of all, she's from Texas. So again, like I'm from the South... It's part of your culture. Mm-hmm. It is doesn't belong to a particular race. It's part of your culture. But also, I'm hearing that this album album is an effort to kind of reclaim the truth that black people were part of building the country music story. And, and it's interesting. I had no idea until we were going to discuss this that the banjo was actually an instrument that came over from enslaved people in Africa. Did not know that. Oh, yeah. It came over. And then it was something that that enslaved people they would they would use was an instrument. And then when the minstrel show started later, that's when it started kind of becoming more popular in the white community. So there is a lot of history where like we're overlapping and where it's rock music, country music. It's like we're we're part of the story. This is American history. So this music, her uh, country albums being released following the Grammys and her husband, Jay-Z kind of hinted at the the idea, too, that uh, black artists need to show up. And you had uh, talked about that. Yeah, this is a really interesting point. Um, And, Chef, keep me honest here. We were talking about some folks who have decided to leave country music because they're really frustrated with some of the things that have been going on. Um, There was one particular person. I know Maren Morris had talked about kind of leaving it behind. Who was the person that you mentioned, Chef? It's uh, T-Pain. He's a singer, songwriter, R&B artist, and he also writes a lot of country music. But he he recently came out, actually just this week, and said, I I can't write songs for country artists anymore because of all of the racist abuse that I face in that column of the industry. And I'm constantly questioned. My credentials are questioned. My songs are questioned. And I've written really successful music, but I can't can't deal with the fan base anymore. I can't deal with the backlash. And I found it's not a place for me. Yeah. And that just makes me sad. And... and I want to go back to the Grammys and it was the first time I'd watched the Grammys from beginning to end in a long, long time. But the highlight of that show for me was definitely Luke Holmes and Tracy Chapman Mm -hmm. singing together. And I know that I'm not alone. I know uh, we heard from a lot of people and a lot of people were just talking about what an amazing moment that was for this country music star to revisit this song that was from 1988 and to have Tracy Chapman there. And and I think the symbolism was so rich and so full and it made my heart full. Yeah. Um, and here's what's interesting. This is a song that was never categorized as country, fast car. Yes, and, exactly. And, and he was able to take that because, you know, someone said here, I think the problem is her song doesn't sound country. What does that mean? Like, what is it just that it's not the country you are used to hearing the tie, the artist that you were. I've there is so much diversity in country music. It's true. There is so much diversity in terms of what it sounds like. But there are there are chords, there are instruments there. It, it has all that all those things, as did Daddy Lessons. Um, something I did want to go to before we finish up on that, yes. Ursula is this point of people who are leaving the industry or leaving country music and an artist saying, I want to go too," knowing that this is the kind of thing she's going to deal with. And it was kind of like what Jay-Z said during the Grammy Awards. We have to keep showing up. Yes. And I just want to honor 
that sometimes for the sake of your mental health, your own well-being, maybe maybe you do leave and and focus on other things. But if you have the capacity and, you know, to be able to do so in the moment, let's keep fighting. Let's keep educating. And it's like while I may not be exposing and and, and, yeah, I may not be the biggest fan of this particular song or that particular song. Like I'm not like I respect Beyonce, but that's not like that's 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 my daughter's vibe. Right. Yes. But she has every right to make a country song as just like a country artist can make a pop song or a rap song or an R&B song. Because we do have white artists who win awards in R&B. Yep. Like, exactly. I know. Let's not keep everyone in their boxes. On stuff. Exactly. Yes. Okay, still ahead, we do scenarios when we solve other people's problems. This is the GN Ursula Show. Scenarios is brought to you by 1-800-DUI-AWAY. It is 1047. It is a Thursday morning and you're listening to the GN Ursula show. And this is the time we do scenarios. Here we go, yo. Here we go, yo. So what, so what, so what's the scenario? From the pages of the Washington Post this morning, I am in a year plus relationship with my boyfriend. We're both 46, previously divorced and have two children each. He tends to be more reserved with his emotions while I tend to be more expressive. It's been a slow-moving relationship from the start, but we've grown closer and closer as time passes. We have yet to tell each other we love each other. I'm very much in love with him, but the fact that he's so reserved with his feelings keeps me from expressing mine. I don't think I can put myself out there and possibly face rejection. He's wonderful, and I can see a future with him, but the lack of hearing those three words at this point makes me wonder if I'm wasting my time. On the other hand, I don't feel like I should beg for love. Is there something I'm missing out on, or am I being unreasonable? And Angela, I actually want to start with you today because I I wonder if there's a difference between how you express yourself when you're young versus when you're old and whether this is cause for concern. What would you tell this woman? (laughs) Okay. Assuming if she were not here, there's a, that's a different conversation. If she were here, I would, I would, I would have the question why in the world after a year, don't you feel comfortable having this conversation with him? that you don't feel comfortable being vulnerable enough to say, hey, I really love you. And yeah, I'm curious how you feel about me. Mm. Like if you can't have that conversation at 46 years old, I'm worried about both of you emotionally. Am I like- (laughs) I 1000% agree with you. Why can't you have that conversation? I guess that would be the bigger question. And why don't you feel after a year and after both of you have been what you've been through? And, and, and maybe it's that trying to protect her heart. But but this person is not the right person. If you don't feel comfortable in that space saying, I mean, being reserved is one thing. And maybe he's just waiting for you to say something. And he doesn't want to be presumptuous. But you're never going to know unless you put it out there. Yeah. And here's what I can say. One I would say barrier to have just on the outside looking in when I see people date and the whole dating game. And I've experienced this too. It can be really hard for someone to put their cards on the table first. 
Yes. Right? Or it was like, oh, I don't want to show him that I like him too much because then this. And I was just kind of like, you know what? It's games. You have to be willing to, like, get your heart stomped on, sadly. I, it, because otherwise, you have the two people kind of playing a similar dance, and then it never really gets anywhere. Yeah. Because no one wants to blink first. Now, I have a question mm-hmm. for both of you, Okay, actually. How much weight do you put into the words, I love you? Whew. That you know, is a big question. Because people, some people toss it out there, right? I do. Uh, well, I mean, and some people toss it out there disingenuously, okay. like right, is, is a way I'm to disingenuous. get somebody in bed or mm. to get them to stay with you. Some people are more reticent, and reserved. But this is this is 2024. We're not growing up in an era where our dads don't hug us anymore. I think that the words "I love you" are incredibly important. Yes, and if you can't express that. After a year, mm-hmm. there's no future there, in my opinion. You're just comfortable in the situation that you're in, and it's harder to break up than it is to stay in the relationship. Is the person emotionally available? Yeah. Yeah. But, the you know, the words... Uh- you, you all have heard of the love language, the four love languages. Five. And, oh, is it five? Yes. Sorry. <laughs> but um, I am a words of affirmation person. Me too. At the same time, I think all of us want people to follow up their words with action. Yes. I mean, you want to absolutely feel it. And my husband is not a huge words person, but I feel loved every day. See, that's beautiful. At, 40, like at 46, though, right? I can imagine being reticent about it. You've had your heart stomped on. You've gone through a terrible divorce. You want to take things slow. You want to make sure you're right for each other's kids. You can envision a future with someone. But there's also a lot of people who don't think there's just one person out there for them. And, hey, look, I've been through this rodeo once. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that until I'm sure you're the person for me. I mean, isn't that a possibility too? Yeah. Again, and that's someone who would put a lot of weight on the words "I love you." I, yeah. For some, "I love you" means you are willing to take that next step, or you are willing to be yeah. in a very committed relationship. I have one. I, oh, go ahead. Please. Oh, well, I was just gonna say that that in our family, so raising our boys, so we have two sons, and. You know, my, my, my husband has shared that I love you was not something that was bandied about in his household growing up. Mm-hmm. In our household, we are a very love forward, very expressive, maybe some would say too expressive yeah. family. And so that is how we raised our sons who have no issue expressing. Saying, exactly. And I think it's, I personally think it's very healthy. I think mm-hmm. sometimes too much weight is put on that. Um, and, and a lot of assumptions are made on those on those words. Here's my question for the text line. In general, how comfortable do you feel having a conversation with your significant other about deep or important issues? I mean, we get these scenarios and a lot of times it's people going outside of the relationship to have a conversation. Do you feel how do, do you feel comfortable talking to your significant other about anything? I want to know. And if the answer is no, that there's trouble. There's trouble ahead because I am a firm believer of the way you have a relationship that works is that you have that open communication, that you have those hard conversations mm-hmm. and that you can have those hard conversations. And then of course I always throw out the word compromise too. <laughs> right. 
but we don't settle in 2024. Yes. Okay. Well, you know what? To me, everybody seems to be on a different scale of emotional intensity, whether you're as delicate as a flower, hard, and firm as a rock. If you're in a relationship, though, it involves two different people. Both sides can be recognized, and maybe one party doesn't need the words of affirmation, but when you start to empathize, you'll know how far it can go when you say those magic words to the special someone. After a year, though, I feel like this should be a no-brainer for the two on expression. Come on now. Oh, for sure. For sure. I love that, Nick. Okay, I just have to mention something because you, you read our, our text line is going crazy oh. as always. Muckleshoot Casino Resort text line 888-973-5476, Cairo. But someone texted in and said, I'm feeling like this is the view this morning. <laughs> now, I just want to point out that it's very rare that we have two women doing a talk show. It's very rare. It's almost groundbreaking. So the, the, the one of the few occasions that we have a chance to have two women co-hosting a show. Someone says, it sounds like the view. <laughs> Uh, I, I think they were in the minority, though. So I'm I having love fun being it's, with you. Exactly. We're, we're yes. two people having a conversation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Still ahead, we do agree to disagree. This is the G and Ursula Show.